We are going to begin reading with verse 29. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can find it on page 9 in the worship guide. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall, and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I'll not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's bow together. So, Lord, long ago... The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words to the church in Corinth. And you saw fit to preserve them for us today. So Lord, we would ask that that by that same Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and our minds and our wills to conform them to your will. We look to you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Now, in our world today, a lot of what is being sought, sought after, is power. Power. 
explain a little bit. Think in terms of uh, uh, what's on the news every day the, in politics. And this goes for both, both parties. This is a nonpartisan uh, observation. Each party wants to win. Why? To be in power. Think of the protests. No matter what side of a protest someone is on, what is the purpose? It is to, to bring about what you want to put you or those you're protesting for in a better position. And then maybe closer to home for some of you, when it comes to sports teams, what do you talk about? This is the year. And some of you are already saying, well, this would have been our year if it hadn't been for this global pandemic. But we talk about the strengths of our teams. We talk about winning and power and position. Now, why do we, why do we even mention that? It's just, it, we, could, we could come up with dozens of examples of that But what I see in this passage is Paul is doing just the opposite of that. He is not talking about gaining power. He is talking about weakness. And we tend not to do that. We tend not to seek that. We tend to cover it up and instead... He's exposing his weakness. And if there is a boast, it's in that. Now that actually falls and and supports the the caricature that that some have made of Christianity where uh, statements have been made about uh, Christianity being for the weak or the weak-minded And Paul actually says, well, in terms of weakness, you're absolutely right. That is what I am. But then he talks about a different kind of power, different from what our world would talk about. So today we want to answer, why why would he have that view? Why would he say, yes, indeed, I'm weak? Let me tell you about it. What was it that he understood? So let's start out by looking at at Paul's thorn. Uh, In verse 7 it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So before we get to the thorn... Uh, we have to deal with what he's talking about here when he talks about the surpassing greatness of the revelations. What in the world was that? Let me go back and read what he had said about that. He says, I must go on boasting, though there's uh, nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ, by the way, 
commentators agree, he's talking about himself. He is, he's doing it in the third person, out of humility. But when he says, I know a man, he's actually talking about his own experience. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I, I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So talking about himself in the, in the third person, he says he saw visions, he saw uh, revelations, including being caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. And uh, some people see those as different places and some see them as the same place, just a different word for the same place. Uh, what is the third heaven? Well, we could speculate a whole lot about that. We could spend a lot of time, and, and I just want you to trust me on this, uh, commentators down through the centuries have spent a lot of time speculating about where he went, was it in the body, out of the body, and, and all of that, and what is paradise, and, and what is the third heaven. But if we did that, we would be missing his whole point. Because his point is, I could boast about uh, those things, but I don't want you to see me as defined by something that took place in my life 14 years ago, my experience back then, which, by the way, if, you know, some people, that's, that's how they do their testimonies. They, they talk about, you know, 20, 30 years ago, and they keep talking about that. He says, look, yeah, it happened. I could boast about it. It, it was amazing, but... I don't want you to see me as that instead. I don't want you to see me as a, you know, some kind of a privileged receptor of, of revelation. But I want you to see me today in all my weakness. John Calvin did feel there was a reason that he was given that kind of mysterious privilege of of the revelations, the visions, and being caught up into the third heaven. Uh, he said it took place for the sake of Paul himself, for one who had such arduous difficulties awaiting him, enough to break a thousand hearts. What a, what a brilliant turn of a phrase. He was going to face things that would break a thousand hearts for him to be strengthened by special means that he might not give way but might persevere undaunted. So he's saying God gave that to him for a reason because he was going to face some unbelievable things and, and he wanted him to persevere. And then Calvin goes on, he says, we should not seek to know anything but what the Lord has seen good to reveal to his church and be content to let this be the limit of our knowledge. So if you were hoping to know what the third heaven and paradise was, you now know everything I know about it. Um, 
So back to the thorn in the flesh. What do you think of when you think of that? I usually think of a rose bush when I hear about a thorn and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. Well, what was, what was his thorn? There are all kinds of, of theories that it was Jewish persecution, uh, carnal temptation, epilepsy, recurrent maladies such as malaria, eyesight, speech impediment. Again, we don't know. But it doesn't matter. In fact, if Paul had revealed what his thorn was, let's say it was eyesight, for instance. Well, those who have that as an issue would all relate to him, but all the others, you know, and how God said you need to deal with this, but, but everyone else would say, well, you know, I don't have that issue. So this thing, this thorn that he had, is, it's not defined what it is, so that all of us could relate to how do we deal with these things in our life, these big things. And by the way, I'm calling them big things because although I said I, I think of a, you know, a rose bush and so on, the original word here isn't that. It was the word used for a hideous stake that they used to impale people on for punishment. It's not something one could ignore. That's what the thorn is. So let's look at his uh, sincere request of God about, about the thorn. He says, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So whatever his problem was proved to be so tormenting of him, so severe, severe enough that, that it was de debilitating to where he said, God, please take this from me. And he heard nothing. God, Take this away from me. And then he did it a third time. You know what that shows me? It shows me that it's not wrong for us to ask for relief. Paul knows that though, though this messenger was from Satan, God was absolutely in control of this situation. He could have healed him. He could have relieved him of whatever this thorn, this trial was. We see even Jesus in the garden. Father, let this, pass, uh, this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Prayer for relief. And God's response to Paul shows us it's not wrong. He could have rebuked Paul at that point. Why are you asking me? But instead, here's what happened. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me. So God's answer to Paul, without really saying no, his answer was no. But it didn't end there. His answer was basically, 
I've got something better for you. Look at his answer, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So think for a moment how much better it is that God did not remove his thorn. What would we have thought and how would we have acted if he asked God to remove the thorn and God took it away? Or he asked him three times and and then he took it away. I know how I would have thought I would have fully expected the same thing. Look, there's Paul. That's what he did. We should do that too, and our, our thorns will be gone. But instead, he did not remove it. His plan was to show Paul and, and to show us that although he had the power to remove the thorn, that was not the only way he could show his power. He would pour out his grace to endure the thorn. Matthew Henry, Bible commentator, said this, Sometimes Christ sees that we need sickness for the good of our souls more than healing for the good of our bodies. Now, I don't like to hear that, and you may not like to hear that, but, but it makes sense. And it's true. Sometimes Christ sees that we need sickness for the good of our souls more than healing for the good of our bodies. Look at Paul's response then. He, he recognizes that there's a purpose in his thorn. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, see there's a purpose, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. So when God doesn't say, yes, I'll remove move the thorn, then we can know he's got a higher purpose. Now, how does that knowledge help us to know there's some purpose in, in, in this affliction or this trial I'm going through? Some years ago, I was asked to, to speak at uh, the Rheumatoid Arthritis Association of Pittsburgh and I was asked to speak on suffering when I got there I saw real suffering I saw people who uh, were and many of them had been for a long time in a great deal of pain many of them whose whose hands and, and feet were crippled up and I, I thought, well, what, what am I going to say to this group? Well, I had already determined that, that I'm not sure I had a whole lot to share with this group. In fact, I, the, the one that invited me, I said that, except I can share what the Word of God says about suffering, and that's what I was asked to do, and that's what I did. Now, afterwards, there was a... a question and answer interacting time and some informal time do you know what hit home with with many of those people that were there what hit home was that there was a reason for their suffering 
there is a purpose when we suffer. Some of them very quickly, or they had thought about it, and they they said, yes, I can see the impact it's had on my family or my, my son or my husband or me or things like that where they could see some purposes. And others would say, I have no idea what the purpose is, but it's just good to know that God has a purpose. And that's what we see here. That's what we see with Paul. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Transforming Grace, said, God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan, nor circumstances, nor any ill-tending person to afflict us unless he uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good the good of conforming us more to the likeness of his son. I've told you so often that that everyone and everything in our life is to make us more like Jesus. And that's what this is saying. We just have to decide, is that a worthy purpose? It is. It is. Not only does Paul recognize a purpose, uh, he doesn't cover up his weakness. Look at verse 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So to say that he's, he's ashamed is, is, uh, is not ashamed is, a, is an understatement. Paul talks about boasting about his weakness. Now, I've traced with you before his, his, what we might call Paul's progression in, in his growth. But listen to these three statements. Remember, Paul was a, a Pharisee. Before he, he met Christ, he was a Pharisee, trusted in, in the law and his keeping of the law and being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and all of these, these credentials he had. We read in 1 Timothy 1.15, He says this, that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's how he began to see himself. Then we see 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, he says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then Ephesians 3.8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, some versions say the least of the least, less than the least, rather, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that for him was was the great exchange, going from trusting himself and his qualifications and his strengths to seeing himself realistically in Christ. And the closer he got to Christ, the more he saw the greatness of Christ and his own weakness. And he was not ashamed to reveal it. In fact, he said he took joy in that. He also had joy in Christ's power and empowerment. Verse 9 and 10. 
He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? Why would he boast all the more gladly? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He, he, he's content in his thorn, whatever that was. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So after the answer from God, Paul saw his weakness, his thorn, his troubles as an opportunity to be the power of Christ displayed to the world. And that's one of the ironies of the kingdom. That God works through weaknesses and weak people. He works through thorns and through trials and through sicknesses. And why is that? So that when something good happens, Christ is glorified and not our strength. J.I. Packer uh, was a theologian, recently went to be with the Lord, and he, he wrote this. Twice it has been my privilege to introduce Johnny Erickson. Now many of you know who Johnny Erickson is. She, she had a diving accident as a teenager became a quadriplegic, can do nothing really for herself, and yet has had an amazing ministry for decades now. So he says, twice it's been my privilege to introduce Johnny Erickson. Each time I have ventured to predict that her message would show her to be the healthiest person in the building a prediction which, so far as I could judge, came true both times. The healthiest person in the building. Because she knew the power of Christ. And when people look at her, they don't mistake her for being powerful. All you can see is the power of Christ. So grace is a gift. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. Grace is a gift, but so is the need for grace in our lives. Paul mentions the thorn, but he doesn't dwell on it. In fact, he doesn't even tell us what it is. Sometimes in our lives, we can be so obsessed with the thorn that we miss the grace that God has given to us to endure. And we miss the opportunity to be the witness to the power and the glory of Christ. He's enough. His grace is enough. The Israelites were hungry. They were in the wilderness. 
they felt a need and they felt that God was not addressing it. We're going to go hungry out here. What's God going to do about it? And then God sent the manna, the bread from heaven. He said, I'm going to send you enough, collect it every day. The day before the Sabbath, collect enough for two days so you don't have to to work on the Sabbath. But every other day, just collect enough for you. And trust me that the next day I will provide for you. And he did. He still provides manna in the form of grace. He will give you enough. Not too little. Not more than you need usually. But enough. Because he will give you Christ to deal with whatever you're dealing with. His grace is sufficient. We can believe that. Let's bow together. Lord, during these moments, it is likely that most people here thought of some kind of a thorn or a challenge or a trial that they are dealing with. Will you give us your perspective on that? And will you show us that we're too weak to get through it and to deal with it, but not to be ashamed of that, but to glory in the fact that you are not too weak and your grace is sufficient. Will you show us that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.